Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 15 from the book Jacob the Shazer, Forgive Your Enemies by Janet and Jeff Binge, part of the Christian Heroes Then and Now series by YWAM Publishing. Chapter 15, Back to Japan. During the war, the USS General Miggs had been a troop ship, but it was now being used to carry the first load of 150 Catholic and Protestant missionaries to post-war Japan. Since the vessel was a former troop ship, its onboard accommodation was far from lux- luxurious. Uh, the men were qu- uh, quartered on the opposite side of the ship from the women and children. Florence and Paul shared a cabin with 18 other women and children. The days aboard were filled with a mixture of excitement and routine. Florence had to wait in line for her turn to use the washing machine to wash Paul's diapers and clothes. Each afternoon, she and Jake continued their limited Japanese language study with a missionary who was far ahead of them in his ability to speak Japanese. To pass the time, some of the passengers gave lectures on various subjects. Jake was particularly interested in the lecture on the history of Christianity in Japan. He was surprised to learn that St. Francis Xavier, a Roman Catholic missionary from Spain, had introduced Christianity to Japan in 1549. Over the next 50 years, St. Francis's followers claimed to have half a million converts. Over the years, however, local princes opposed and resisted the gospel. The conflict became increasingly violent and ended in a bloody massacre in 1638. Following the massacre, Christianity was banned from Japan, and for the next 200 years, the country shut itself off from the outside world. No Japanese citizen was allowed to travel abroad and no foreigners were allowed to enter the country. In 1854, Commodore Matthew Perry arrived in Japan with a fleet of American warships and forced the opening of Japan to the outside world. Five years later, the first handful of American missionaries came to Japan. When the edict against Christianity was lifted in 1873, more foreign missionaries began arriving in the country. These missionaries faced many challenges, but eventually Christianity began to take root in the country and churches began to sprout. The first free Methodist missionary in Japan was Mastasuga Kakai Hara, a Japanese man who had studied at Greenville College in Illinois in 1895. He began preaching the gospel in the remote fishing village of Fukuda and Owajai Island. Two years later, he was joined by uh, Kaichai Kawabi, another Japanese man who had become a Christian while living in the United States and had then served as a pastor for three years in San Francisco. Kaichai was a 
dynamic evangelist, and under his leadership, free Methodist churches began to spring up around Japan, particularly in the Osaka area. A seminary was established in Osaka to train free Methodist pastors. The war, though, had been hard on Christians in Japan. Foreign missionaries were forced from the country, and the Japanese government exerted its control over the church, forbidding certain hymns and verses from the Bible to be read or sung in church. Of course, the Allied bombing of Japan had been hard on the church. Jake learned that nine Japanese free Methodist churches, along with eight Bible school buildings and many parsonages, had been bombed beyond repair. On the way to Japan, the USS General Miggs docked in Honolulu, Hawaii for a day. In Honolulu, Jake and Florence were met by the parents of a couple of their friends from Seattle Pacific College. The parents whisked Jake off to speak at a Christian meeting in Honolulu. As they drove to the meeting, Jake marveled that he was finally in the islands where the Second World War had begun for the United States. He recalled how angry he had felt when he learned of the bombing of Pearl Harbor and how that anger had motivated a drive to make the Japanese pay for their actions. Now he marveled that he was in Hawaii on his way back to Japan, not to extract revenge, but to tell the people the greatest news Jake had ever heard, the gospel. On Christmas Day, they were at sea and approaching Japan. Paul was too young to get into the spirit of things, but everyone enjoyed watching the excitement of the older children when they spotted Santa arriving in a lifeboat. At dawn, on December 28th, Two weeks after setting out for, from San Francisco, the low, dark profile of an island came into view on the horizon. Jacob Florence stood on deck watching as the main Japanese island of Honshu grew bigger and bigger before them. It wasn't long before the USS General Miggs was sailing into Tokyo Bay and heading for the port city of Yokohama. As the ship approached the dock, Jake could see nothing appealing about Yokohama's dreary buildings with their peeling paint and unlighted windows. Jake, we really don't know how to be missionaries, Florence said in a hoarse whisper. What are we going to do now that we've docked? Jake put his arm around his wife. He had been pondering the same question. The couple stood there in silence for a few minutes, and then it was time for them to gather their belongings for disembarkation. Uh, they said goodbye to the uh, uh, El Gil, uh, the new friends they had made aboard ship, and then headed off down the gangway. Jake carrying Paul under one arm, they had nearly reached the bottom of the gangway when the ship's loudspeaker crackled. Is Jacob DeShazer here? Is Jacob DeShazer disembarking? Came a voice over the speaker. As Jake waved his free arm in the air, a man with a movie camera made his way through the crowd toward him and Florence. Please go back on board. I work for an American news company and I need some footage of you. Other reporters and photographers 
are waiting for you in the dining room, the man said. Jake and Florence turned around and headed back up the gangway as those going down stood to one side to let them pass. Back on the ship, Jake and Florence made their way to the dining room where about 30 men, mostly Japanese, were waiting for them with pens, paper, tape recorders, and movie cameras ready. As soon as Jake stepped inside the room, the reporters began firing questions at him. Why are you returning to a country where the people held you prisoner and treated you badly? One Japanese reporter asked in heavily accented English. God has called me to tell the Japanese people about Jesus, Jake replied. How did God call you? Another reporter asked through an interpreter. I read the Bible while I was in prison, and I discovered that the Bible is God's word. Jesus is the Savior of all mankind. If the Japanese people will accept Jesus as their Savior, they will have the light of life, and the love of Jesus will control their lives, Jake responded. Why do you, we need Jesus now? Someone else asked. Jake smiled. That's an easy one to answer, he said. I know that the Japanese are very educated people, but I don't think they know what happened 2,000 years ago, so I'm going to bring them up to date. The impromptu press conference aboard the USS General Miggs upon their arrival in Yokohama was the beginning of a love affair the Japanese press had with Jake and his family. The journalists and campermen followed the DeShazer family from the ship and to a nearby rooming house that had been arranged as temporary accommodations for the family. Photographers snapped photos as Jake and Florence took off their shoes and entered the house. Inside the rooming house, it was freezing cold. Jake realized that all he had read about post-war Japan was true. There was very little food, heating oil, or wood in the cities. Devastation and Desperation were all around them. Two days after arriving in Yokohama, Jake and Florence experienced their first setback. Upon, up until then, their son Paul had been a robust, strong toddler, but in the cold, barn-like rooming house, he had caught a bad cold. He lay in Florence's arms, his eyes glazed, unwilling to be coaxed into eating or drinking. Concerns soon t turned to alarm and the DeShazers sought out the nearest U.S. Army hospital. The doctor told them that for Paul to survive, he would need special nursing care and to be in a warm environment. With great reluctance, Jake and Florence left Paul in the hospital and returned to their rented dwelling. The Free Methodist Church in Japan had set up a round of speaking engagements for Jake. Despite Paul's illness, it was decided that Jake should go ahead with the meetings. While Jake was away speaking, Florence would visit Paul each day at the hospital. Jake's first speaking engagement was on Sunday, January 2, 1949. He spoke at two free Methodist churches, one in the morning and the other in the afternoon, in nearby Tokyo. When he arrived at the first church in Tokyo, Jake was introduced to Reverend Dr. Kenyo Oda. Dr. Oda was a native Japanese man who was also a graduate of Seattle Pacific College. He lived in Osaka and was currently the superintendent of the Free Methodist Church in Japan. Dr. Oda 
explained to Jake that he would be his interpreter at the two services. The crowds at the services were enthusiastic as they listened to Jake speak, and Dr. Oda turned out to be an excellent interpreter. Still, it was a strange feeling for Jake that day to be standing in front of hundreds of Japanese people and telling them about his experiences while incarcerated for 40 months in a Japanese military prison. Jake told the congregation that he was glad they were no longer shooting at him and that he was no longer dropping bombs on them. Osaka, Japan's second largest city located on the eastern coast of Honshu Island, about 220 miles southwest of Tokyo, was to be the DeShazer's new home. After a week in the hospital, Paul DeShazer was well enough to be discharged. On January 19, Jake and Florence were relieved to climb aboard a train with their son for the trip to Osaka. They were glad to be leaving behind the cold and drafty rooming house in Yokohama. When the family reached Osaka, Mr. Yo Yoshikai, whose son had been killed in the war, offered his son's upstairs rooms for Jake and Florence to live in. Soon afterward, the family's belongings arrived from the United States, and the Shazers moved into their new lodging. Jake set up the American oil stove he had shipped over to keep the place warm. Because there was no kitchen upstairs, Jake set several packing cases on their sides to make a counter on which Florence could prepare food and cook it on a hot plate. With the arrival of their furniture, Jake and Florence were able to sleep in a western-style bed. The bathroom consisted of a hole in the floor of a tiny room. Florence arranged all of her food items in her new kitchen and said a prayer of thanks for all of the cans of milk that they had shipped over. The milk would keep Paul healthy and growing. Other supplies, like oatmeal and flour, did not do well in the damp climate of Osaka and had to be used up fast. This was not a problem. All around the Shazers, Japanese families were nearly starving to death. Japan simply could not produce enough food to feed the population after the devastating war. Jake and Florence found themselves giving away much of their food, confident that God would supply more when they ran out entirely. As Jake, Florence, and Paul settled into their new surroundings, they often encountered journalists watching them. Almost every day, some tidbit was reported in the newspaper about how the family was doing. When Paul poked his pudgy little fingers through a paper panel door, the incident was reported in the newspaper. The news photographers snapped pictures of Jake and Florence taking Paul for a walk and of Jake inviting the neighbors to a nightly Bible class they had started in their home. The next day, the photos appeared in the local paper. It seemed that everyone in Osaka knew Jake. Every time Jake went out, he was greeted by name. Former guards and military men introduced themselves to him on the street corners, and women held up their children to watch as he walked by. Jake soon learned that this all had to do with the tract he had written for the Bible uh, Meditation League or Medi you know, Meditation League back in the United States. The tract, titled I Was a Prisoner of Japan, 
had been translated and published in Japanese, all and over one million copies had been distributed throughout the country. The Japanese people, it seemed, were eager to read about Jake and the change that he, his becoming a Christian had made in his life. Japan was at a crossroads. The country's defeat in the war, coupled with Emperor Hirohito's declaration on January 1st, 1946, that he was not a god, but merely a mortal man, had created a spiritual vacuum in the country. Despite the people's sacrifice, the old religions had failed Japan. And now, many Japanese people were looking for a new religion that could bring meaning, purpose, and direction to their lives. Jake's tract seemed to be one of the things many had latched onto in this search. While Jake, Jake continued to be in demand as a speaker at church services, he and Florence realized that their fame provided an opportunity to speak the gospel for far beyond the church. They just didn't know exactly how to do this, so they regularly asked God to show them how they were supposed to do or to go about doing it. One of the most regular visitors at the DeShazer's new home was Kenyo Oda. One day, about six weeks after their move to Osaka, Dr. Oda arrived just in time to help Jake and Florence with a dilemma. They had received so many letters since arriving in Japan that the letters now filled a basket to overflowing, but neither Jake nor Florence knew enough Japanese to adequately read the letters and answer them. Dr. Oda pulled one of the letters out of the basket. He opened it and began to translate it aloud into English. Dear Mr. DeShazer, he read, my brother and sister were killed by the atom bomb dropped by the Americans. Both of my parents are also very ill uh, from the fallout. I have had a great hatred for the American people. When I read your tract, it made me think that there might be a better way for me to live out my days. Perhaps it is possible and even desirable to forgive our enemies. Could you send me any information you have on how to go about this? Thank you. Dr. Oda picked up a second letter and opened it. Today, after reading about you and your lovely wife in the newspaper, I felt that I must write to ask you if you will be visiting Tokyo. I would very much like to talk with you and hear your remarkable story firsthand. I was a prison guard during the war, and when I read your story, I felt a great shame, something that I had not felt before, for what happened to you. Can you, your religion, explain why I should feel this way now? Dr. Oda folded the letters and carefully studied Jake's face. I imagine the whole basket is filled with letters like these. I will take care of them. We must pray about the best possible way to use this opportunity. Within a week, Dr. Oda returned for a visit to the DeShazers. The basket was again half full of letters. I have been praying over the letters, and I think you have a unique opportunity here, Dr. Oda said. I have never seen so much interest in Christianity expressed in Japan. We have an open door here, and we must walk through it. We need to work together to reach as many people as possible. He leaned closer to Jake. I have asked to be temporarily released from many of my superintending responsibilities, 
so that I can tour Japan with you and be your interpreter. This would be for an indefinite time, as long as people want to hear you speak. Of course, it depends on whether you are willing to travel with me for many weeks out of the year. Jake gulped. It was hard to imagine that one of the most prominent men in their denomination in Japan would take on a servant role for him. But the suggestion also made sense. Jake did not know enough Japanese to speak alone before crowds, and it would be a long time before he could do so. Dr. Oda was one of the best interpreters in the country, and together the two men would make a great team. That night after Paul was in bed, Jake and Florence discussed the opportunity. They agreed that conditions would not be suitable for Florence and Paul to travel with Jake, and yet with the kind of travel schedule that the letters seemed to indicate, Jake could be away for weeks at a time, leaving Florence alone with the baby. Still, for two Bible college graduates whose hearts burned for missions, their decision was not difficult to make. When they had married, they had both committed themselves to doing whatever it took to spread the gospel in Japan, and now a wide open door to do just that had presented itself. The next morning, Jake visited Dr. Oda and told him to set up in an itinerary. They were on their way to evangelize Japan. Next time, Chapter 16, More to Do. You can find this book and many others on the website at www.ywampublishing.com. Phone number is 1-800-922-2143. Again, this has been Chapter 15 from the book Jacob DeShazer, Forgive Your Enemies, by Janet and Jeff Binge, part of the Christian Heroes Then and Now series, by YWAM Publishing. And again, join me next time for Chapter 16, More To Do.